for the season. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I want to just look at two verses found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So for those of you in the room, if you would, stand. Those of you in the car, don't stand up. You'll bump your head. Um, but uh, for those of you at home, if you want to stand to honor the reading of the Word. And 1 John, John writing here in chapter 3, talking about the love of our Savior. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Father, as we look at the fact that the Lord God in heaven, who created the the heavens and the earth and created us, also loved us and sent His Son to come and to live among us, that He might uh, die for us, that we might be saved. Lord, we have come this season to celebrate His coming, His life, and His death, all in one package. Lord, let us be reminded, O Lord, that without the coming of the Lord, there could be no perfect life, and without the perfect life, there could be no perfect death. Without a death, there could be no resurrection. So, Lord, we are here today to thank you for first loving us. And because of that love, O Lord, we are thankful that, Father, that you have called us to let others know of that great love. Help us to continue to share throughout, just not this season, but throughout the next year, how that Jesus came to show His love, the love of the Father, unto us, to call us out of darkness into His marvelous light, so that we could become the children of God. Lord, bless our time now, we pray. Speak, Holy Spirit, if there is one that is listening among us, Lord, rather here in the building or somewhere online that does not know you, may it be that they know today that your love is reaching out to them. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do the work of salvation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No doubt that Christmas time is a time when people tend to show more love. More love for their families, their neighbors, and even complete strangers. So today I want to talk about knowing the love of Jesus this Christmas. Of course, we don't always perfectly show love. There's the occasional Black Friday brawl in one of the major box stores. There's a little bit of horn honking when we sit too long at the light or steal someone's parking spot in the mall or at the shopping center. But most of all, uh, there is an overwhelming expression of love and, and, and a warmthness and a softness to most of us. That is how it should be because God has revealed His love to us with the Christ-born child. They, God laid Him in a manger in Bethlehem so that we would have access to Him and know that He was not some elite set apart, but He was one to come and live among us like us, yet without sin. Christmas can be also a time of great disappointment for many. As Josh and the youth are going around to, to some of our shut-ins this week simply because 
For many of them, there's an empty chair where a person that they loved once sat previous Christmases. There will be an empty spot in their heart. But we know that uh, uh, no matter what is going on, those who struggle with that, whether it's through COVID keeping us from gathering together with our extended families, sometimes the disappointment is less serious, but nonetheless critical. Like the lack of batteries for that important electronic device that we brought our kid on Christmas morning, and they open it and say, can I play with it? And we go, sure, let me go get the batteries, only to find out, guess what? We forgot to buy batteries. I read about a little girl who had climbed up into Santa's lap and had heard Santa ask that usual question. You know the one that Santa asked at every station. Santa asked, and what would you like for Christmas? The little girl looked up at him with great horror in her eyes and said, what do you mean? Did you not get my email? You know, things have changed since... uh, Uh, I put my children on Santa's lap, and for many of you, that is the same. Uh, There is no way um, that we could deny the change in technology over the last 10 to 20 years. As a matter of fact, there is no way what I'm about to tell you would have made any sense 20 years ago. So here it is. What do you get... Dwight, you ought to be able to get this one. What do you get when you cross a Christmas tree with an iPad? A pineapple. Listen, I tested this with my grandchild, Kelsey, and she said this was a good one. So, hey, Christmas is about laughter and joy. You should be laughing at my puns. That's all I got to say. All right, so... Uh, When we think about it, can you imagine the smiles and the joy on the faces of Mary and Joseph as they held Jesus in their arms? Christmas. It began as a time for love and joy, and it continues today as the reason for the season is that Christ came to to express His love for us, to restore the joy that we should have with knowing the Father. So I want you to think about what John has written here in these two simple little verses that shows us the love of Jesus this Christmas. In 1 John chapter 3, in verses 1 and 2, there are four things that I want us to see. First of all, we must see it. We must see the love that has been bestowed. John writes, behold, which means to look. For us to take time to to stomp the busyness and to stomp all of the other things and, and just focus for a moment to look at what he is saying, to consider what joy the Lord God has given unto all of us. He tells us to look at how great a love the Father has given. In other words, we are told that we must see it. 
And Christmas time is one of those times of year that, that it is best expressed. And when we say Jesus Christ came as a baby born in a manger out of the Father's love. Some people say that Christmas is like Christ, Christians. We live in a fantasy land. Or that we live a life of blind faith. John tells us that faith is not blind by any means, but faith is, is to be with eyes wide open. John knew Jesus personally because he was one of his disciples, and as such, he had seen him with his own eyes. He saw the amazing love of God in Christ. He saw how God the Father had expressed his love through God the Son. Then John uses his testimony to remind us that we can still see God's love through the witness and the events of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus our Savior. Did you know, this is a little morbid, but did you know that most murderers do not provide eyewitnesses of their crime? However, thousands of murderers are convicted in courtrooms across America. CSI technicians tell us that virtually it is impossible to murder someone without leaving evidence behind, evidence that ultimately contaminates um, the scene and, and convicts the, the killer. A fingerprint, a drop of blood, a shoe print, or uh, one spot of DNA uh, convicts people of murder all around the world, even though there is no eyewitnesses at the scene of the crime. However, we come to our text and we find that John was not only giving us evidence, but he was giving us an eyewitness to the fact that he knew who Jesus was. Jesus came into the world as God uh, with us, and whenever and wherever God moves, he leaves evidence behind. And his evidence is life, not death, John was an eyewitness, as were many others. Yet even though he had not seen him, or we had not seen him with our eyes, we love him. And he has left us evidence of that love. Someone said that it all began in Bethlehem when Christ was born. But that's not really true. It's not true at all. Actually, it began in the heart of God. When God knew that His creation, humanity, would sin one day, and that He would have to send His Son, and that it would be the greatest expression of love that God could show to His creation so that we, His creation, would love Him. God did not blindly come into the creation of the world and creation of humanity but he knew exactly what was going to take place, and he knew exactly what he was going to have to do, and he knew exactly why he wanted to do it. He wanted to show his love so that you and I would show our love back to him. John writes in, in his gospel, in that famous passage of Scripture in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The plan for providing salvation to believers was not one, uh, uh, not one of the, the Father in heaven thought at the last moment, but it was from the very beginning. 
He had a plan. A plan of love that includes you and me. We are called to open our eyes. Open our hearts. See it. This Christmas experience... This Christmas season should bring us to the place when we look at the manger scene, we need to look at it and see it as God's ultimate plan for the salvation of all who have sinned against Him. And as a matter of fact, Paul reminds us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For God's love for us is not for an elect few, it's not for the, the privileged or, or, or for the underprivileged. It's for all the world. For God so loved the world. We need to see it. So how does one see it? If I can get the tech team to focus in on the, the, the manger and the cross, I want your, your attention over there. First of all, we see Him in the cradle. We see His love at the manger in Bethlehem. The world in which to Jesus came was brutal, hateful, and filled with pagan religions. Into this awful world, God sent His Son, not as a victor, not as a warrior, but as a babe in a manger. He came to save sinners like you and me. No wonder that every Christmas when we break out the manger scene, there's just something that, that fills the room with a, a, an air of, of specialness, of love, of compassion, of, of mercy, of grace. Every year I look forward to, to bringing out the cradle and, and just reminding us that the story of Jesus, the love of the Father, it didn't begin in that cradle it just showed us in that cradle for all of us to see that God had loved us right from the very beginning. And He expressed that love by giving His Son in human form and expressing it in the humblest and most gracious way. But I love also every Christmas season to make sure that I put the cross behind it. For many years... I was so caught up in the Christmas experience that I, I just focused on the little town of Bethlehem. Until one point, God reminded me that Christmas is, is great, it's special, but it doesn't fulfill the purpose without the cross. Jesus came from the cradle to the cross. We must see Him on the cross. He entered this world for the express purpose of living a sinful life and then taking my sins and your sins to die on the cross for us. The manger is a beautiful scene, but we ne must never forget why Jesus came. If you're going to behold the amazing love of God that He has for you, we must go to the cross. The cross of Calvary, where He died. He bore our sins upon that cross. He shed His blood so that you and I could have forgiveness. He went to a tomb so that He could defeat death. So that we don't have to fear it. Whether it's through a heart attack or through a stroke or, or, or through uh, natural causes or unnatural causes or some virus, we don't have to fear death if we know Jesus Christ. And then beyond the cross, my friends, we need to look a little higher. 
And we need to see him sitting upon the throne. We need to see him wearing his crown. God loves you, and you can't change that. Did you know that you can't do anything to earn God's love? Nor can you do anything to cause him to love you any less. It cannot change. You and I may reject him. You and I may reject his love, but his love goes on uh, like light traveling through space. Those who open their eyes to the light of the world and those who receive that love, throughout the centuries, his light has been moving through history and that light is here today to redeem those who will see it and see him. He is the king of glory. He wears the crown of life and offers all who will repent and turn to him the same crown of life. He rose from the dead and he conquered the last enemy, which is death. He is the Lord. Is he the Lord of your life, though? He is the Lord of the universe, whether we want him to be or not. He is, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess one day that he is Lord. The question is, are you going to have to force, be forced to bow before and confess Him as Lord? Or will you humbly come as a child of God and say, I want Him as the Lord of my life? My friends see Him today crowned and reigned as the Alpha and the Omega. You can see it if you have faith in your heart. The question that I must ask is... Can you see it? Do you see him today in the light of the cradle to the cross, to the glory that he bestows by coming to earth? Many of us that are here in this room have seen that glory, have experienced the light of Christ and have received it into our hearts and it illuminates through us. But we want to show it to the world. So let that light so shine in you that others may see Jesus in you. We not only need to see it, but we need to experience it. It's one thing to look at the the cradle and see the cross in the background. It's another for us, as John says, we must experience that love. John not only saw it, but he experienced the love that God had bestowed upon him. John goes on in the text to tell us that we are God's children. Now listen, I know the world wants to say, because it's really, it's so good to paint the world in a picture of that we're all God's children. No, 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 no. We're all God's creation. But we don't become His children until we accept His gift of the cradle to the cross. We're all His creation because we are made by Him no matter what science says. We are made by Him, but we become His children when we experience Him in the way that He wants us to. He's speaking here to the Christians. One out there might be asking the question, so what makes one a Christian? A Christian is simply a person who has been convicted of his or her sin has turned to the faith in Jesus Christ that Jesus was born as a virgin birth in a manger, grew up and lived a sinless life and died on a cross, went to a tomb, rose again three days and because of that he offers unto all who put their faith and trust in him a gift of eternal life. 
salvation by forgiveness through the purpose of the cross of Christ. A Christian is not a perfect person. We all sin and we continue to make mistakes. A Christian is simply someone who has trusted Jesus as their Savior as the means in which they have put their faith in that, Lord, no matter what happens, no matter how many times I blow it, you have fulfilled the commission of God when you died upon the cross, and I put my trust in that. A Christian is someone who experienced a new birth by trusting the one who was born in Bethlehem so long ago, but died upon a cross at Calvary. A great philosopher would say, I think, therefore I am. But as a Christian, we simply say, God loves, therefore I am. I am a child of God because He loved me and called me to, his, uh, to be His Son through Jesus Christ in His death. I have accepted Him as my Lord and Savior, and I have become a child of God. I was literally born into or adopted into the family of God. Every year, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we realize that Christmas is special to God's people because it reminds us of how much that God loves us how much that He has given to us. Let me share with you another birth that is eternally important as well. The birth of Jesus Christ was a special occasion. It's a -a one-of-a-lifetime event. But can I tell you there's another one that is one-in-a-lifetime event and it's an eternal? It's that new birth when you and I realize that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we realize that there is the only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. It's the reality that when you and I were born into the family or adopted into the family of God, our names are written in that family book. And one day the Lord, the Lamb, is going to open up the Lamb's book of life and He's going to call our name. So the question this morning is, as we celebrate another Christmas, 2,000 plus years after the, the main event, have we experienced it? Not just have we saw it, but have we experienced it within our own hearts? What does that mean? How is it that that we recognize this. Paul says, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Consider what it means for us to be a child of God. Consider our title. Listen, my friends, I don't know about you, but it's, it, it seems as though that the world has just made it so flippant to be called a Christian today to be called a child of God. It seems as though the world just has has made it, and Christians themselves have made it so demeaning in many ways. But it is not. God gave it to us as a, a great title. 
He gave it to us so that we, when we, are, we recognize that we're ambassadors for the kingdom of God, that we recognize as an ambassador, we go into the world with a title that says that we are children of God. We're given a title when we accept Jesus as our Savior. We are called the children of God. When a saved person comes to the world, one who has been born into Christ... The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. At that very moment that we are saved, whether man or woman, boy or girl, we become a child of God. Just think about it. All of us who are saved in this room today, we have the same title. We are children of God. And that is a glorious title in the eyes of the Lord. I can't wait until one day when my God, my Savior, opens that book and calls my name and reassures me that I have put my faith in the right place, in the place of Jesus Christ, the baby that was born on the manger, the one who died on the cross, the one who rose from the dead. And as those two guys said this morning, that the same guy is the, the Lord that lives in my heart. He's the same guy, the same Lord. But consider our testimony. Did you know that every child of God has a testimony? I've talked to people over the years and said, Well, preacher, I don't have a testimony. I, 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 I was raised in a Christian home. and I went to church every Sunday. I never rebelled. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I, I came to know the Lord as a child and I've been living. I don't have a testimony. Oh, my friend, everybody has a testimony. When we come to the fact it's not about what you did as a sinner, it's about what He did as a Savior. We have a testimony that I was lost, but now I'm found. I was wretched, and yet now I am righteous. We all have a testimony to share. That is exactly what John did when he penned the words in 1 John chapter 3, and verses 1 and 2. He's sharing a testimony of truth and grace. When we have truly experienced God's saving grace, we cannot help but speak of it, tell others of it. We must share it. We must live it. And we must tell it. And we must spread it abroad. No one can refute what God has done for you. So why not tell everybody? Why not tell somebody? Why not tell anybody? Consider your title. You're a child of God that gives you a testimony. But also consider our triumph. You and I were lost. We were wandering in the wilderness. We were heading far from God, but yet through His grace, He turned us around. I was heading for hell, but now, thank God, I'm heading for heaven. John tells us that the world does not know us. Simply meaning that they do not understand our salvation. Because they did not know Him, they don't understand how that we can have this salvation and we can have this eternal hope. You see, we, the Bible says, have overcome the world because He has overcome the world. 
John even goes so far as to say that we cannot yet know what our lives will be like in heaven. Oh, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. What heaven will truly be like. We have won a victory of which the full effects have yet to be seen and to known. Paul says that we can't possibly know the experience, uh, everything that God has in store for us when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them who love him. But I remind you, the victory is ours. It's already ours. The victory is not something to come. It is something that we have received the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. The moment that we received our title. The moment that we got a testimony. The moment that we got those things from God. We have become triumph. We are now overcomers. We have overcome life. We've overcome death. We've overcome the, the, the pain and the struggles of this world. We have overcome the pull of Satan, not in what we have done, but what he has done. And we will one day experience the fullness of God and all that he has planned for us through Christ when we enter those gates of heaven. Millions of people die all the time. But the Bible tells us two things about the roads that we're on. For many, the road is wide and leads to destruction. Many there are that are on it. That's where we used to be. But the road to heaven is narrow. It's restrictive. It means that we've got to let the things of this world go and we've got to hold on to only that which is eternal. Let all that other junk go and, and walk with Him on that narrow road where it leads to the glorious place that God has prepared for all of us leads to His presence. The third thing that we see is not only we must see, but we must experience Christ in Christmas through the salvation that He has given to us on Calvary's cross, but we must know it. John wrote a confident phrase in this passage of Scripture as we consider today. He penned the words, We and we are. He didn't write, and, and we hope that we are, or will be, or could become the children of God someday. He didn't say that we hope we will be. John wrote, we are the children of God. You see, God wants us to know that we belong to Him. And that is that we are a son indeed. The Savior of all who we trust Him in. The facts fact is that it bothers the non-believers that you and I can say that we know that we know that we know. Drives them crazy. Well, how do you know? Oh, I know. Well, then how do you know? Because I know. I know that I know that I know that he lives within me. I know what I once was, and I know what I am now, and I know where I was once headed, and now I know where I'm going. I was lost. Now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. You see, we have a knowledge that the world cannot grasp. They struggle with. 
They're irked by our assurance of our salvation. They don't get it. A Christian is saved to know and be assured of that salvation. And John wants us to know that we are, 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 are to be known that we are a Christian. So how can one know? Well, let's look at a few reasons. We can know that He is coming again. You see, we know that we're saved because we know that He's coming again. And if He's coming again, He's fulfilled the first promise and He will fulfill the second promise. In 1 John chapter 3 and verses 2, John reminds us that Jesus will be revealed. What this simply means is that He's coming to this earth again. The first time He came, He was laid in a manger. The next time He comes, He will come in majesty. The first time He came, He came to wear a crown of thorns. But the next time He comes, He'll be wearing the crown of victory. The first time He came, He was judged by sinful man. But the next time He comes, He will come to judge sinful man. My friends, we know that He's coming again. We know that He came as a babe in a manger to die on a cross so that He could set up the stage so that in a due season of time, and I believe we're getting very close to the end of the time of the age of the church, to the time of the coming of Jesus the Christ. We must experience it. We must know it. We can know that we will be like Him. Listen, my friends, do you understand what John is saying? Not only do we know that He's coming, but one day when He comes, we're all going to be like Him. John tells us that we will be just like Jesus. Wow. That is awesome. What exactly does it mean, though? We don't have all the time to deal with the depth of that subject. But it suffices to say that we will have a body like His. Eternal, incorruptible. We will have a separation from sin forever. Today, you and I are saved from sin. But when Jesus comes again, we will be separated from all sin. For where we will be going, sin will not be entering. Oh, I'm so glad that there's coming a day when the battle for the, that rages within all of our whole, whole hearts and souls, that sinful nature that continues to rise its ugly head, will be eradicated. It will be gone forever. We can know He's coming. We can know we'll be like Him. And we can know what He is really like. We read about Jesus and we talk about Jesus, but there are aspects of Him that we can't possibly know. Paul reminds us that when we look at the things of God and we look at Christ Himself... It's hard for us to see Him the way that we need to see Him. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, Paul says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. What is he saying? Today, it's hard to, to just imagine 
what he's going to be like. But there's coming a day when we will see him face to face. One of the statements that I make at many believers' funerals at some point, especially those that I know that have walked with the Lord and talked about the Lord and have loved the Lord and read His Word, I love to remind the families that your loved one talked about, told, told others about, but now they see Him face to face. They're talking with Him. They're no longer just talking about Him, but they're talking to Him. What a joy for all of us to know. And then fourthly, this is important. If you're still listening, listen to this. We must not miss it. Dare not think that Christmas is just for children. It's just a time to give gifts. Christmas is a reminder that God gave the greatest gift. God is trying to remind us every Christmas season, don't miss what I've offered you. John tells us that the world did not know Him. John also wrote in 1 John, or John chapter 1, that the light of the world came into the world, but the world knew Him not. You see, you are either on this world or in this world and of this world or you are a child of God. The only way that any human being can miss it is to simply miss the love that God has showed you through the cradle, through the cross, through the resurrection. Been said already this morning in Sunday school, and then again, Josh reminded us if we love this world more than we're willing to love the Lord, we're going to miss it. There's nothing greater than the gift that God has given to us through His Son. He came on that first Christmas to save sinners just like us just like you. He loves you so much that He came and gave His life so that your life would be changed. So let me ask you the question again. Do you know Him? Have you trusted Him by turning from your sin and accepting Him as your Savior and your Lord? If not, you can Christmas is all about receiving and giving of gifts. Don't miss it. Don't miss it for the world, for it's not worth it. Mark said, What is a gain a man to what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? I tell you, my friends, we need to know the love of Jesus this Christmas. We need to experience it in our heart. And for those of us that are here this morning, those of us that are listening, that know Him and love Him and have come to the cross through the cradle, 
Oh, come let us adore him. For those of us who have experienced that new birth, this is a time to renew our love for him and our love from him. Behold what manner of love has been bestowed upon us. Let us return to that love with a fresh commitment to Jesus this Christmas. Let us give him a gift. Let us as believers say, Lord, it's my turn to give you a gift. Lord, I'm going to give you back my fullness of my attention, of my love, of my life, my heart. God, I'm going to give you everything that I have. I want to give you the gift you gave me, life. The greatest thing that you and I can give the Lord Jesus is our time, our talents, our temple, our treasures, and our testimony. Give what God has bestowed upon you back to Him. Make that commitment afresh and anew this Christmas season. For those of us, for those of you that may not have received that gift yet, watch this reminder about how the world still needs a Savior. Video. Have you looked around lately? The brokenness, the division, the hate. After a while, it begins to take a toll. We begin to view people differently. Servanthood gives way to skepticism. Faith transforms into fear. Love begins to languish under the weight of uncertainty. It's easy to become who we were never meant to be. Cynical, angry, lost. In moments like this, we're reminded of the lasting meaning of Christmas. A savior given to bear the weight of our sin, to mend our brokenness, to make whole our divisions. The love of God on full display, bringing light to the darkness, giving hope to the hopeless. This Christmas, in the midst of these difficult times, may we all remember just how desperately we still need a Savior. The greatest gift that has been ever offered to the world has been offered to you. He extends the gift of eternal life to you right now. Behold His love. Receive His gift. Turn not only from your sin, but turn to life. Receive the new eternal life, the abundant life available in Christ today. Not only do we get to receive the greatest gift God has ever given to humanity, but you and I, 
in giving our lives to Christ, give God the greatest gift that we have to offer. Our hearts, our lives, our love, our service. You can make this Christmas a Christmas to remember by coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ, coming to know Him as Savior. We would love to help you to do that. We would love to walk you through the steps of what it takes to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. The information for those of you online is right there on your screen at the bottom. For those of you that are here in the room, I'm here in the room, and I would love to tell you what Jesus has done for me and what He can do for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just reflect upon the Lord? Those of you that are home, just bow your heads before the Lord. Just be honest with Him. If you've never accepted Him as your Savior, would you just remind, be reminded today that your sin separates you from God? But God has come to, to bridge that gap, that separation with His Son through the cross. What you and I cannot do on our own, Christ has done for us in fulfillment upon Calvary's cross. Accepting Jesus is not some tricky, complicated thing. It's simply just acknowledging, Lord, we have sinned. Lord, we have fallen short. Lord, we have walked our own way and our own path, but we come to the cross today. We accept the finished work of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. We ask that You'd come into our heart and we surrender our heart and our life to You. And we agree that today, from this day forward, we're going to walk in the path of righteousness as Christ leads our lives. Lord, save us from our sin. Come live within our heart be our Savior. Lord, thank you. Father, that you have not made it complicated. You've made it so simple that it's a stumbling block to the, to the wise. But yet a simple child understands the simpleness of the faith of just trusting in you. Help us come with a childlike faith that says, Here am I, Lord. Save me. Here am I, Lord. I want to become a child of God. Lord, may we accept the title that you give to us with that the testimony and the triumph over sin and death to know that one day we shall see you face to face. Oh, Father, let the Christmas story be such a great reminder May it cause us, O Lord, who do not know you, those who have yet to put their faith in you, may they come to know you. And those of us who know you, may we pray and may we ask, O Lord, for a renewing of our hearts into and through the love that God bestowed upon us on that first Christmas. Oh, Father, prepare us before the second coming to be ready because of the first coming. In Jesus.
Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Well, thank you for those of you that are at home worshiping with us. Thank you for being here with us today. For those of you that are here worshiping in the building, give me just a moment uh, and we will discuss.